Hello, Tamarindo Amiguis. This is Brenda. This summer, we are revisiting some of our favorite episodes. This week, we invite you to our talk with icon and writer, Dr. Ana Castillo, where she speaks about why she writes, the evolution of her identity, and all about her new book, My Book of the Dead. A reminder to our listeners, I'm teaming up with Delcy Sandoval, the creator of the Ocupación podcast, to invite you, yes, you, to Encuentro, a retreat for podcasters and cultural creators. If you are a person that's got any sort of creativity in you, this is for you. Join us in Puebla, Mexico, February 15th through the 19th. That includes President's Day, so if you have that day off, there you go. And this is going to be to my hometown of Puebla, Mexico, where I was born, but we will also go to Cholula. We will also go to Tepoztlan. This will be an unforgettable journey of empowerment, creativity, and cultural celebration. More than a retreat, this is an invitation to be part of a transformative experience intended to have a lasting impact on your life, work, and passions. Right now, we are accepting interest forms due August 31st, 2023. Get all the details for this at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash encuentro. Once again, this will be February 15th through the 19th, 2024 in Puebla, Mexico. Go to our website and you will see all that is included and all the details that you need. So please head on over tamarindopodcast.com forward slash encuentro. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hola, Tamarindo Amiguis. Hello, hello. So y'all, we are approaching Latinx Heritage Month, which kicks off officially mid-month. So I wanted to start off with a very light question for you, Brenda. <laughs> so what is your hope for the future of our community in the U.S.? Yes. Well, I think we here at Tamarindo are often working on that aspiration, right? We want our, our gente to be well, to be the best versions of themselves. We want the policies that have to do with their life to be mindful of their value. And I think that mm -hmm. we are so fortunate, you and I, and Shayla, that we, we have this space where we connect with other people that are in, in, in their many vehicles working towards that goal, whether it be the policies that they're advocating for, whether they, they are artists like who we have today that are sharing our perspectives and our stories through their art form, or whether it be healers like we've had in the past or people like you that are helping us be well. So that is what my hope, and I'm sure you share this hope as well, Ana Sheila, what is, that is our hope for our community in the U.S. We want to be yeah. seen. We want to be heard. We want to be healed. And we want equitable policies that address all of that. How about you, Ana yes. Sheila? Yes. I love that, Brenda. And I think um, what I'll add to that is that, you know, it can feel really discouraging sometimes when you're seeing the news and you're seeing how policy, how so many things are, are negatively affecting our, our communities. But I think what 
gives us hope is being surrounded by so many people that are actively working to dismantle systems and create new ways of being and are working on our healing, on policy, lo que sea. I think that's what keeps me going. And, and, and obviously we're working on this with you, Brenda. And we often talk about balance here on Tamarindo. And, you know, while we don't want to bypass what, what's happening, we also really want to you know, highlight celebration and joy because that's, we feel like that's really important. So today let's start with matraca. So Brenda, what's something you want to celebrate and give a matraca today? Yes, I went and got my matraca. Here it is. Yes. Um, my matraca goes to supportive friends, including you, Ana Sheila. So you and a, a couple other of my really close friends all texted me encouraging notes as I started on a fantastic new project, which is to teach young people at Cal State Fullerton, teaching them about public speaking. So I just want to give a matraca to all my friends and all of you listeners out there that, that are the type of friends that will text your other friend and encourage them to have a great first day of work. So thank you, matracas, to all of my friends. What about you, Ana Sheila? Aww. Este, I guess, oh yeah, so I want to give my matraca to the podcast Loud, which by the way is only found on Spotify, and it's by Futuro Studios, and it's actually about the history of reggaeton music. And some of y'all may know, but I'm a big fan of, of reggaeton. I love that this show exists. So the host is Evie Queen, which is one of the OGs of reggaeton. So I love that, you know, we're honoring and giving homage to, to one of the OGs. And I love that she also has an accent. I think that's really cool. And I think it's just really important to know where things come from, especially in a genre like reggaeton that has become very popular in recent years, become very mainstream and also more, more white. You know, I feel like people are either doing reggaeton now that weren't before or they're doing collaborations. We got Marimar doing reggaeton, so we know we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, so... I know. So I think it's really, and then even Selena Gomez, I feel like Selena Gomez is really interesting because I knew her name was Selena Gomez, but other than that, like, I feel like I didn't even know she was really like, you know, Latina. Es but Mexicana. All of a sudden yeah. she's, she's Mexicana, but now, she, now she's doing like reggaeton and recently she's on the cover of Elle's Latinx <laughs> um, edition. It's just important to know, pay attention to who we're supporting and especially noting like in reggaeton, it came from Black people in Panama, and I'm learning so much. So I'm really enjoying Loud in the spirit of reggaeton. Well, first of all, I want to uh, double down on your matraca for that episode, Loud, because it has been informative for me, and we love everything about Futuro Media. And let me see, what goes into the basura? <laughs> Sheila, what are you putting in la basura? <laughs> I have some chisme. Um, Anuel and Carol G, who are like a power reggaeton couple, they uh, broke up a few months ago, and recently Anuel uh, performed at Baja Beach Fest. And during a show, uh, he said, Canten esta canción conmigo, sing this song with me to see if maybe Carol G will take me back. <laughs> so I think he's basura and toxico, and he might be a Trump supporter. So oh, okay. So I don't, I've <laughs> never heard of him in my life, but yes, I agree with you, basura. <laughs> Well, I'm just going to steal your homework because I see that you have here bad DJs at weddings. And yeah, of course, they're basura. And I uh, I just want to say, and I know we've mentioned this before, but since we are about to head, head into Latinx Heritage Month, here's a PSA, everybody. Please stop playing the following song. Suavemente, get rid of it. Uh, um, Carnaval, get rid of it. Um, anything by Mana, get rid of it. Let's get some new music. <laughs> Let's get some new music. So Por favor. that's what we're throwing in la basura. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
uh, going back to celebrations and in the spirit of Latinx Heritage Month, which we mentioned a couple of times already on this episode, one thing we're celebrating always is just the uh, the amount of Latinx writers that we're starting to see with more visibility out there. We've had the great fortune of having some fantastic conversations with authors on this here podcast, with Latina specifically. And we've got another amazing Latina writer on today's episode. So who do we have, Anishela? Yes, so today we are joined by an OG feminista, chingona writer, Ana Castillo. So some of you may be familiar with her award-winning novel, So Far From God, which is how I was originally introduced to her as a young adult when I was just looking for more Mexicana and Latina writers, and it was really hard to, to find them. So I that's how I originally discovered her. So we had a wonderful conversation about identity, writing, her latest book, which comes out today, September 1st, Imas. So we'll hear that interview after a short break. Amigis, on Tamarindo today, we are joined by Ana Castillo, the celebrated and award-winning author, who today is officially releasing her new book of poetry entitled My Book of the Dead. Ana, it's an honor to, to have you with us on Tamarindo. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, too, to, uh, to be part of your wonderful podcast. I've learned a lot listening to the episodes. Gracias. I mean, it feels um, it's so cool to hear you say that you're a fan because, uh, you know, I've, I've been a, a fan of yours. And, and I, you know, I just wanted to start off by sharing, you know, as a little girl, I, I my first dream was to be a writer because I fell in love with reading as soon as I could read and, and first in Spanish and then in English. And I remember just the magic of, of reading because I felt like I could travel anywhere at a time where me and my family couldn't really travel much. But I remember like my mind being blown and, and like a new type of magic when I was becoming a young adult and I discovered authors like you. And I remember it was like the first time that I saw, I thought like, oh, an author can be, can have like my background or they, I can see myself in stories. And then seeing that you were also from Chicago and, and when growing up, I lived in Little Village and a Latino neighborhood in, in Chicago, it felt even more special. So it, it really is very special for for us to have you. And, and I wanted to first ask, you know, what was it like establishing yourself as a, as a writer and an, an author, um, you know, when you were first starting out and, and, you know, how have you seen the landscape change for Latina, Chicana, Mexican writers? I've been writing for many decades now, and you're right, there wasn't, uh, if you went into a bookstore when I was a teenager or a young woman, you wouldn't see a binder with Spanish last name, a Latino last name, unless, of course, it was uh, someone from Latin America and trans. Yeah, very uh, important to me as I moved into uh, adulthood and became an activist um, and, you know, fighting for all levels of representation of brown and black people's lives with, you know, many other people, of course, around the world, um, to fill that void as so my, not just my first years or my first uh, book, but the first 20 years of my writing was really about that. There was no place there. Um, it sounds uh, dramatic to say uh, it's an apartheid sort of feeling, but we understood that U.S. Latinos were not, uh, were not uh, viewed as, um, as, mm. as um, important as writers. And we had to create that space. And that was from my third novel, So Far From God, made the proverbial crossover. Yes, we now have a plethora of, uh, of brown, black, Asian, 
American writers. Um, but that that was part of the activism to create that that space. I think that you've inspired so many writers today. I know that you inspired me, and I, and I don't know, maybe one day I, I will write as well. Vamos a ver. But I think, you know, what we're still struggling with is like we're still not being paid or getting good book deals, right? Well, I think that's across the board representationally in any field. But there are writers that are very successful. That's true. I don't have to name them. There is that assumption. For example, I have more than 20 books uh, in publication, novels, poetry, stories, and essays and so on. And uh, there's an assumption, particularly among, you know, my own following and uh, my own readers and many people that think that I make money hand over fist because I have so many books and they don't realize uh, the way that those contracts are worked out and the percentages and so forth. And while I feel very fortunate to see my books always in print after decades, and uh, used in universities in the United States and Mexico and other places as well, summer programs. It's quite an honor and, and astounding for me. I rarely see royalties, very little bit at this stage. Mm. That doesn't mean that, you know, it ain't over till it's over. So we'll see. But I've managed and um, I also s subsidized my uh, writing, like so many writers of all backgrounds, with teaching. So that's what I did for a long time was uh, teaching at the university level. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so conversations, you know, around identity are constantly evolving. I know that you identify as a, a Chicana author. Can you talk to me a little bit about your identity today? How does that look like for you today? Um, I've written in my book, Massacre of the Dreamers, um, that while labels have their place, the most significant thing about a label is that you label yourself, not the labels that mm. are given to us by the, the U.S. Census, for example. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but I was an adult at this time in the early 80s when there was a great debate over this growing population of people. And who were they? And they were, well, they, many of them spoke Spanish, not necessarily. Yes, they did. Some of them were from Latin America, some were from the Caribbean. And so there was this uh, Latino versus Hispanic. And the Hispanic won in terms of the government. As time goes on, suddenly there's a generation that thinks that Latino is like this sellout um, term. And so, uh, so we reevaluate. I did not start off calling myself a Chicana because, as you know, uh, having spent time in Chicago yourself, um, Chicago's in the Midwest, they're very conservative, and I always thought of myself as Mexican. Mm -hmm. When I moved to California uh, right after college as an activist and, and joined the UFW and, and began reading my homemade poems, I didn't study literature, I, um, I had studied to be a high school teacher. Um, I was called Chicana because Chicana was a big, big word in California. And, um, and eventually many of us accepted that term as a, you know, as the name for our literature. And it's still inclusive. A wonderful anthology has just come out on my work by two um, millennial scholars. It's put in perspective um, on most of my books, many of my books, I haven't read it. I've, I've looked at the table of contents um, into the um, Chicanx perspective. Uh, I think uh, it's a looking at, at my work now and seeing how I wrote then and how it fits into how people think now. So um, 
you know, the, the short answer for me is making connections where we can and mm-hmm. not looking for the differences. So if you call me a Chicanx writer or a Latinx writer, I don't mind. You know, if you call me a queer writer, I don't mind. 40 or 50 years ago, queer, uh, it had a different connotation to it. Right. So, uh, and I saw how that word, um, now a term of identity, evolved when it began to be used, especially in academia. It was very, very groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now people just use it sort of like uh, everyday terminology. For me, the short answer is really looking for the connections. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love what you say about what's important is the label that you give yourself. That's the most important thing. If you go to school and they call you a Mexican or they call you a Latina or they or they decide for you what you should be, right? It's just going to be problems down the road for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really like if if you choose whatever label you choose for yourself, it's because that was important to you and like doing what you can to have that, and that should be honored by everyone else, regardless of what their opinion is, right? <laughs> exactly. And also mm-hmm. it would, what I think the individual should honor about herself, himself, themselves, is uh, that you're not the same person every day. You're not right. inhabiting the same skin that you did 10 years ago. And you have a right to change that identity if you want. Right. And I feel like we get in a lot of arguments about, oh, what, what label should we use? What's right and what's wrong? It's, yeah, it, it's different for different people and it's going to change. And, and we have to be open to embracing that change. And it's really beautiful how you've been able to, to see that and, and also are so open because you, you've, you've seen it change so much. También, no? Well, I've, you know, I've, I've paid a price over the decades over a lot of that because some very stalwart groups um, that feel that I contradicted myself or I'm a hypocrite or I'm in, a, I'm in mm. the closet or I'm, a, I'm out of the closet and I'm a, therefore I'm against, you know, Latinos or men. That's not the case. The case is that you have a right to reevaluate and you have a right to be yourself. And if how you feel in the morning is maybe not the way you feel in the middle of the afternoon or in the evening or in the middle of the night. Right. That's powerful. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Ana Castillo. Thank you. We're back. So on Tamarindo, we often encourage our audience to write, whether it just be journaling for their own well-being or just writing because we want more of us to be sharing our stories on whatever platform, on whatever stage is possible. So why do you write and, and what does writing mean to you? Um, you know, I, well, I want to start by, by, uh, by something I was doing in more recent years. And in 2009 to 2019, I offered memoir writing workshops um, not just around the country, but in various countries around the world, in Argentina and Kazakhstan, um, uh, to the general public, where two people of all ages had wanted to tell their stories. And so um, this points to your question is, is the need for us to document um, our stories, uh, our testimonios, and Mexican mm-hmm. people in particular, not Mexican people of privilege who go to the university, who come from families that um, parents who went to university and who are used to, you know, having books at home and so on. But, but a lot of people don't have that background um, and they don't know how to form their stories. And we need that. We need that as testimonials. So that's one reason why I would encourage anybody 
to do that. I've had the good fortune to see uh, people that have been in my workshops just like that, who went and self-published their testimonials afterwards and the welcoming of, to those memoirs, to those books that they received from their communities who were so happy to hear that story told because nobody mm -hmm. else would have remembered or their families, they have big families. Yeah. And, and so, um, so that's the positive. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, um, I was writing with no path set before me. Uh, so it was sort of just like, okay, uh, but I did read quite a bit, and uh, there, I had teachers in books, and they were Toni Morrison, and they were Garcia Marquez, and they were Anais Nin, and they were Pablo Neruda. And so um, I, I wanted to tell our story or my story um, uh, in that tradition. And so it was important for me as an activist to document um, my story. Um, I did not take a writing workshop. I didn't study uh, in an English department or in a Spanish department in the university. And I did go on to graduate work and I do have a PhD and even an honorary degree for one of my books, but I never took a writing class. It's something that came very naturally to me. My first mm -hmm. love was visual arts, um, but communication and serving as that witness has been my motivation. Um, mm. In recent years with the last administration, I did become very downhearted. And I actually told myself I wouldn't write anymore. But um, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, I did put this book of poetry together, my book of the dead, I thought, again, it's important to be a witness of what is going on, at least from my perspective. And uh, that brought me back, I felt that I'd come too far to turn back now. <laughs> what else am I going to do now, if not keep writing? And so I'm happy to say that I'm back to writing and being a witness, as I say, but being a witness doesn't mean you speak for everybody. It's what I saw with my eyes and with, from mm -hmm. my perspective. And my Book of the Dead is, I think, is a very, uh, a very good name for the last few years because we've seen so much. No one has uh, gone unscathed and untouched by the pandemic, uh, by the killing of George Floyd, of uh, Trayvon Martin, uh, I, I personally have lost so many people dear to me and uh, fought very hard uh, during this time on a personal level yeah. for this, uh, you know, to overcome these things. Um, and, the, and the earth is also suffering. We, if we're aware of this as poets yeah. are. So I, that's why I write. And I'm, I, I don't know. I hope my new book doesn't depress people. I hope it, it offers a glimmers of hope here and there. Even as we see these things happening, it gives us animo and courage to push forward. Yeah. One of the things that helps us get through life sometimes is like compassion for each other. And compassion is really like shared suffering. And actually sometimes just feeling like we're in community going through tough times actually does give us hope. Um, so your, your latest book, as you mentioned, My Book of the Dead, it's a collection of poems that just is officially released today, September 1st. So it, it sounds like it was kind of like an expression of what you were feeling through the last few years. Can you tell us a little bit more about your inspiration for the book? Well, many things. Um, there are poems that address uh, Black Lives Matter, also the 50th anniversary of the Black Panthers Party. I can reach back in my memory uh, to Chicago, um, I was a teenager when Martin Luther King Jr. came through. 
Um, I've had the great personal gift of the many, many years later as, as a grown woman of the friendship of Angela Davis. And so I've been able to look back, see where we made these uh, proverbial strides, where we've been pushed back by certain administrations. And so, um, you know, those are my reaches. And I also, through imagination, reach into a, a future. And sometimes it's a little dystopic, as we can understand. And there are other times where it's uh, whimsical. I also have persona poems where I write from the perspective of an actual woman chief in the Amazon. As we know that their horrific president is burning down the Amazon. It's been going on for decades. Um, I've written about uh, poets that have been with us and are gone, whom, whom I treasured both for their work and for their presence and for people that I've known. Um, one poem in there called In These Times was a poem that I wrote specifically in honor of an African-American woman who was named president of the university that I graduated from in Chicago. And I was invited to go and be at the inauguration ceremony and to read a poem. And I wrote that poem um, in honor of that and um, identifying as a woman of color what we've inherited. Uh, I call it this mess, the mess in this house that we inherited <laughs> as women but we will yeah. be the ones who will, who will stick around to clean it up. And that mm -hmm. usually is what happens for women, especially women of color, who mm -hmm. end up being the ones who have to pick up the mess and dust ourselves off and everyone else and make sure that we pick our chins up again and move forward. Mm, gosh, that just resonates so much with me. Like that is my family. <laughs> Seeing the women in my family pick up after everyone, after the men, after the family, after todos. When I read that poem at the graduation <laughs> ceremony, that that president was sitting behind us and we were all in our regalia and we're outside and there was like all these people. And she jumped up at the end of the poem and threw her arms around me. And, and later on, she had said to me, I was wondering where that poem was going, because initially it's like talking about everything we've inherited, which is, you know, <laughs> patriarchy and wars and all this. And then here we are, the, the mothers. And it's like what Likwe in the, in the heavens when she picks up that little feather and puts it in her pocket. And it's, you know, we see the pochli and it's a cycle. And it's us that are always doing the cleanup and the and the preparation for to take on the next battle, the next war. Yeah. And can you remind um, listeners what's the name of that poem? So for folks that that will be reading. Yes, it's called These Times. These Times, perfect. Gracias. It's a long poem, and anyone is welcome to to read it, to borrow it. Uh, there's some poems in there that do resonate in my heart. Another mm -hmm. one that is very important to me and. Um, I hope people will look at it. It's, it's dedicated to an African-American woman poet, Akila Oliver, who passed away in 2011, um, fairly young. I think she was in her late 40s. She had a heart failure. Mm -hmm. But the, um, when I read about her life, her 21-year-old son had, been, uh, had died. Um, and it was attributed to some neglect at the hospital. And he was a graffiti artist. I had a lot of things in common with Akila as a single mother of a son who had also been a graffiti artist, a young man of color. And um, I, I love to read the poem. It tears my heart to read it. But again, yeah. it reminds me of what we do as, as brown women, as African-American and Chicanas and Latinos, 
raising our sons who we sent out into the street with so much love and we just don't know what's going to happen. We protect them. We teach them to read. We teach them to be respectful to their elders, to women. And then they go out and, and you know, they're treated like the way brown and black men are treated in this world, picked up by cops for no reason, beaten yeah. up, killed for no reason. And so, um, so that's another poem that I also would like um, to share. Yeah, thank you, Ana. Just you sharing about it right now, actually, I was getting teary-eyed, como que, without even reading the poem. <laughs> well, so. I, hope when, I hope one day you get to read it and share it with your friends. Yes, yes. Okay, so now uh, we're at the point of the interview where we like to ask our guests uh, some rapid-fire questions. So the first one is, uh, what do you want to give a matraca to? I'd like to recommend, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, uh, just reading books in general. Um, and if uh, people can't think of something to read right now, I want to pay homage to two Latino, Latinx we lost in the past year, but whose legacies will be with us for a very long time to come. And one of them is El Maestro Rudy Anaya um, and his book, Bless Mi Ultima, uh, which if you haven't read it, someone hasn't read it out there, it's a book about um, uh, a curandera in Nuevo Mexico in the mid forties. And we can always use a, re a reminder of healing. And the other is uh, Miguel Argarin, the founder of the New York and Poets Cafe who left us in this past year, a book of his. He was also a scholar and a translator that was important to my early writing and inspiration is a translation of Neruda's poems called A Song of Protest. There's a mm. poem in there in particular that I want to point out to people. It's called do not ask me. And so um, if you have read it, if you read it recently, if you teach it, good for you. Um, share it with your family, share it with your friends, donate it to your local library. If you have no use to have any books on your shelf anymore and you want to fill them up with new books. Uh, but both of those books, I think, would be, would, would be uplifting on any afternoon. Wonderful. Okay, so what do you want to put in la basura? In the basura, la gente que no se quiere vacunar, um, and I, I've decided I'm really irritated yes. uh, by uh, people who especially are even going out of their way and false, falsifying documents so they can travel and go, go about in the airports and on airplanes um, where some of us have to be uh, for important reasons, I think. And we're exposed to, to people who, um, who are uh, just for no sound reason putting the, their families and other people in danger. So I'd like yes. to throw that attitude into the trash. And I, I'm really, uh, like so many of us, we're really dumbfounded by, by that type of willful ignorance. <sighs> yeah. Pues matraca to your basura. And then how about, God, what about your calma? What's keeping you grounded right now? Um, I try to remember every morning when I wake up, um, and it sounds corny to say you're counting your blessings. You're, I try to count 10 affirmations. I'm very fortunate in a way right now that I chose to live in, a, in the desert, and so I get to see the sunrise. But if you live in the city, if you only have a, a little uh, view from your window, um, you can also take a walk in the evening and see the sunset and, and try to do those 10 affirmations as simple as 
the fact that you're mobile, ambulatory, that you can walk on your own when you know that there have been so many people in the past year, year and a half, that have lost some of that ability um, uh, is very important for us to be able to move forward and to know that we are have another day of productivity and, and contribute um, to, to moving us all onward. Uh, so let's not forget the simple things and taking deep breaths uh, as we uh, try to inhale the, the air that's still available to us. Yes, uh, such a good reminder. Thank you, Anna. Well, it's been such a joy to have you with us. And before we go, is there, um, can you tell people, you know, where they can find your book, anything that you want to promote? Yes, uh, my book of the dead, just look it up, Ana Castillo, like you with one N. And uh, I, I, I know it's uh, for sale already. It's being sell, sold anywhere you want. It's University of New Mexico Press. If you just look me up, I'm the one, the first one. There's many of us, as you know, many Anas <laughs> and many Ana Castillos yes. now. There weren't when I started out, but I'm the first one that pops up. And any one of the places you want to go, your local bookstore needs your support. So you can do that. Order from them, have them deliver it because I know they're, they're struggling also. Um, we're going to um, get nameplates. So look me up, anacastillo.net. If you'd like to send, drop me a message, I'm on Instagram, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Send me a message and I'll be happy to mail you a, a personal signature once you have your book. Yes, thank you so much, Ana. Muchas gracias. It's been a joy. Un abrazo. Take care of yourselves. Gracias. Bye. Adios. All right, y'all. Well, it was so cool. It felt kind of like full circle to, to get to interview Ana Casillo and to know she's she's a fan of ours, you know, as especially when I kind of when I grew up reading her. So I really appreciated hearing her perspective about so many things. So remember, y'all, her book is out, My Book of the Dead. Please check it out. Please support Latinx writers. I'm just so glad you had the opportunity to, to speak to one of your heroes. I think it's fantastic. So matraca <laughs> sí. to having those yeah. opportunities and, and for the love that she's been giving us. So gracias. Sí, sí, sí. Okay, so now Brenda and I are going to play a fun game that's the style of Never Have I Ever, but it's going to be a little bit different. And don't worry, it's not, <laughs> we're not going to talk about certain things. Este, but we're going to share culturally Mexican things about us to see if the other has also experienced that. So if the other okay. person has done it, they'll get a point. So we're each going to share a few facts and then whoever gets the most points wins. I love games, y'all. So I'm muy competitiva. I don't know. I think Brenda, are you too? <laughs> uh, probably. So I'm more enojona is the word for me. <laughs> Soy enojona. Um, but go ahead. So let's see. Are you going to kick us off, Ana Yeah, so I'll kick us off and we're going to okay. start the sentence with have you ever. Okay, ready? Okay. Okay. Have you ever driven to, Me to Mexico, but not just Tijuana, like somewhere further? Yes, I have. My family and I twice have driven from LA all the way to Puebla. Twice. How about you, Ana Sheila? Yeah, exactly. We drove from Riverside in Southern California all the way to Mexico City once and also Nayarit. <laughs> but yeah, Mexico City, that was the big one. It took us a few days. We, we drove in our Aerostar van. I don't know if y'all, anyone else has, shout out to anyone who's had an Aerostar van, van at, at one point. Like we took out the seats. We had a little TV set up. It, uh, it was a whole vibe. <laughs> nice. How old were you? I think the first time I was like, Como 16 or algo así. No, the one, the one time that we did that long, the long drive. 
to Mexico yeah. City. Well, I'll tell you one, one thing that I remember from doing this. We did it during the holidays. And when we started out, you see all these cars with all their presents that they're taking over to their family in Mexico. <laughs> but then the further south we went, the fewer cars there were doing that because not too many people are as brave as we were to make that long, long ass journey all the way to, to Mexico City. But super awesome experience because you get to see so much. All right. So is yeah. it my turn? It's your turn. Okay. So Anna Sheila. Have you ever been gifted incredibly gigantic granny panties from your abuelita? No. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. every Christmas, I think I got from my grandma, my abuelita, my abuelita Toya, these gigantic, humongous calzones that, I mean, they were so big that, like, uh, the waistband went all the way, like, way above my jeans, okay? They were huge. You could probably fly a kite, like, they could work as a kite. So that's my that's, super Mexican that's experience. H- hilarious. <laughs> but like, why did, did she just think you needed more chonies or like, or like? I'm sure there's other listeners out there that have abuelitas <laughs> that give you calzones. Okay. My abuelita didn't give me chonies, but my dad every Christmas would give us socks, which I used to hate. And then I got older and I loved getting socks because I always lost did them. You get, um, <laughs> did you get frilly, frilly socks as a little girl? When I was little, yeah, and they were fucking annoying. I hated them. Yeah, <laughs> las calcetas, and they went all the way up, and some of them were so freaking thick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. All, all right, what so do you, you have, have for me, Anna Sheila? Well, you have a point. I'm, I'm, I'm down a point, so you're winning right now. Anyway, okay, so next one. Did you ever, or have you ever believed in El Niño Dios instead of Santa, or before Santa? Nope, that's not me. We we were a very Reyes Magos and Santa Claus family. We, we weren't a Niño Dios family. Not in this household. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, yeah. So I believed, yeah, I first knew of El Niño Dios giving me presents. So I always pictured, imagined a little baby with little wings <laughs> flying to, to give us um, Christmas gifts. Um, and then later I learned about Santa. So I think that must have been confusing. Like, I, did we have two people giving me what about the, Los Reyes Magos? También, también. Did you have any Reyes Magos? Oh, yeah. We three. did, but that wasn't as big in my family. It was with my dad because he's from Mexico City. I think it's more popular in, in, in Central Mexico, which I, I know you're from Central Mexico as, as well. Where's your, mom fa- where's your mom's family from? She's from Nayarit, which is on the, co- on the West Coast. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, all, all right, right. So my here's turn. my next one. Oh, your turn. Yeah, go. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay, dale, so dale. is it my turn? I guess it is yeah, my turn. Is. All right, so here we go. So um, have you ever in your household, when you wash dishes, the way you wash your dishes is that you have a little cup with water and soap dissolved in their soapy water and your sponge. And this is how you wash your dishes in your household. See, si, obvio. Yeah, I definitely yes, grew up like that. Yes, but did you know, <laughs> we 100%, but white people didn't. Isn't that crazy? It's That's actually a, like a like a core, cultural thing, um, because I, you know, as I mentioned, I ha- had an opportunity to um, live with my in laws for a little bit at the height of COVID. Because why wouldn't you want a beautiful, awesome house in the desert away from people in Los Angeles? Anyhow, um, and. I noticed for the first time ever that like the way they wash dishes is they don't have the soapy water. <laughs> like they, they literally, they, they're rich and they, and actually they're not really rich for the same, but it, it felt like such a, such a privilege to actually squirt, squirt the stuff on your sponge for every dish. Like the way we did it is we squirt the stuff in the soapy water and you have mm-hmm. it last forever. <laughs> We're so resourceful. <laughs> 
So yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And and All and right. I think I, yeah, Jeff would look at me weird that the way we did it. We we have it here in this household, which is a Mexican household. My house is a Mexican household. We have the soapy water. <laughs> All right, what do you have for me, Anna okay. Sheila? I can't. I think can't believe. I can't remember if we're tight or not. Damn it. Okay. Anyways. All right. So this is what I have for you. Have you ever played a mariachi instrument? So this includes trumpet, guitar, violin. I don't know if I'm missing one. No, I did not. I did not grow up playing any sort of instrument that would be in mariachi, no vale folclorico, none of that, <laughs> which is really sad. Really, it's never too late. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up playing the trumpet actually, and one of my. Uh, one of my, and also I played the guitar for a little bit, but the trumpet more so. One of my dreams was to be in a mariachi. And I don't know, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll still do it. It's never too late, verdad? <laughs> yeah, give it a try. So if you, if a trumpet was in front of you, do you think you can hit a couple notes? Yeah, I could still like play like, you know, a scale and not sound terrible, pero that's about it. <laughs> that's awesome. Definitely go get yeah. that one. So have you ever had your mom just clown on you? Like mom is just, you know, always kind of clowning on you and just knows all about you and, and, and she'll clown on you. Like, yeah, you know, does your mom clown on you? Yeah, but my mom is so nice. It's like hers. She, it's like very G-rated clowning. And her, her humor is very Mexican in the sense, like I'll say something and they'll be like, you know, it, it'll have some, somehow it'll have a double meaning that I wasn't thinking about. And she'll like say something about it. Yeah. So yeah, she's always clowning me, but in her very G-rated, como nice way. <laughs> yes. My mom is definitely G-rated, but she is a dark humored person. So she will definitely <laughs> clown on me. Awesome. She goes in well, on I you. Think, wait, wait, yeah, wait, I for have... sure. I have one last you one. Bonus? Okay, yes, bonus one. In, bonus round. I was round. inspired by my novia who posted, who made this a post the other day. Have you ever taken tortas to Disneyland? I'm pretty sure I have. Yeah, pretty sure that I've had definitely bring your own torta to Disneyland day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Same feel like to you? For, yeah, like I, to me, when I think about, I've been going to Disneyland even before, when I still lived in Mexico, like my whole life. And I always like tortas and Disneyland, it's like a thing. Como it's almost like, of course, like if I must have, I must come with my sandwiches, you, you know? Yeah, dude, Disneyland's expensive for sure. Well, that yeah. was a lot of fun, Ana Sheila. That is it. <laughs> Thank you for this awesome conversation. And we look forward to the next one. So if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Thank you, Ana Sheila. Thank you, Brenda. So until next time, ponte un suéter. Calmate, te calmo. Bye. Bye. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Anasheila Victorino with production support from Josie Melendez and Augusto Martinez Delgado of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you like our show, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast or share an episode with a friend. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our start up and running. 
another sale. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.